Amen. You may be seated, and good morning. It is so good to be back with you. You know, Tammy and I were able to get away a little bit and some time up in Colorado with our family, but we sure miss being here with you all. For those of you I've not met yet, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. One real quick announcement for those of you who are single— kind of in that young professional, if you need uh, if you need some age parameters like 25, 35, any place in there. But we actually have a young professional group that gets together, connects, just Bible study, some fun things. But we're having a barbecue actually at our house on Friday night the 21st. And so if you fall into that group, those parameters, or maybe you know somebody uh, who is looking for some community uh, in that, make sure you get signed up. We would love to have you. So we got in, I think it was a week ago Friday, just as it was getting hot. By the way, isn't it great? Get back, show up, dirt has been moved, right? Hallelujah, right? That's fine. In fact, what cool, even yesterday, they were here working yesterday. So project is going on. Uh, and so last weekend, I was able to be here on Saturday night, hear Pastor Dan. But on Sunday morning, we got to do something so cool and so neat out with our, our daughter church. And I wanted to tell you just a little bit about it. Uh, so let me give you, a, in case you're not aware, we have been blessed. God's put upon our heart to, to plant churches. And so since 2016, we've planted three churches, two of them locally. Mission Church was down in Goodyear. That was 2016. Uh, Salt Church in 2021, that's up in Waddell. And then in the midst of all that, in 2018, we got to plant one down in Nicaragua. And I, I know, you know, you're probably not as into the details of this, so a little inside baseball for you when it comes to church planting. But church planting is hard. Did, did, did you know that? So statistically... If someone goes to plant a church, we would call it kind of a parachute drop. Maybe they live in a place or, or they believe God's calling them to a place to go and plant a church. And they're just kind of out there doing it. The chance of that church actually surviving for five years and being a place where it's self-sufficient is less than 25%. That's the statistic. It's actually about 22%. If a church goes and plants a church, like what we've done with Mission and Salt, the chance, the percentage of that church being viable and self-sufficient within five years is a little less than 50%. If a church plants a satellite, so if you think back the last, what, 15, 20 years, this is how a lot of church plants, they've just become a satellite, this statistic actually goes up to about 90%, which is a good thing. But like in ministry, there is no silver bullet, right? There's pros and cons to everything. And please don't take this as a criticism. It's not. It's just what God's called us to. But one of the concerns that you get in with satellites is that it's all run from the mothership, and so usually that church is in a different community. So as the mothership makes decisions about doing ministry here, it doesn't always work there. Plus, as the mothership gets in trouble, it creates other issues. And so as we were looking at 
planting churches is like we want them to be as effective as possible, but we want them to we want them to be able to reach their community, right? That's why we're doing it. So what we decided to do, because we're so smart, you know, <clears throat> is we decided to do a hybrid. And so when we plant a church for the first couple, two and a half years, usually it's been kind of been the, the standard for both of them so far, is when we send them out, we actually send them out as a ministry of desert springs so the accountability is here the elders are over that uh we still do we we do all of the bookkeeping we do all of that part of the the thing i meet regularly with so just like they're a staff member and as the church gets up and is growing and they begin to identify leadership uh we begin to do training so like with salt church uh, about 14 months ago, uh, identified, we begin to talk and walk through that process. And uh, then in May, so what, a month and a half ago, uh, we actually, um, technically at that point, we gave them a constitution, we appointed elders. But this last Sunday was the day that we were able to get together and actually and go out and do it in person. And so you know how it is if you're a parent, you know, you get the kids and they grow up and that day comes when they now have to pay for their own cell phone bill, right? It's a great day, right? Their own gas, right? So this was that day. So we met out at Salt Church and of course, Pastor Michael and then uh, Scott and Brad and uh, we had that opportunity, and you'll see a number of our elders that are around there that were able to join us, and we were able to pray over them and commission them and just kind of let the whole church know that process that we had taken them through. And they are no longer a church plant. They are a healthy, thriving church. In fact, if you live out in that area of Waddell, uh, they are Canyon View High School, uh, Bethany Home, and... Uh, Perryville. Uh, man, make sure, that, make sure you check them out. But it was a great day. It was a wonderful day. And, and, I, and I said to them, hey, one day, right, we all want to be there when you all are planting your church, right? So for you, it's a daughter church. For us, it's a granddaughter church. But it was just, it was this awesome time. And I wanted to make sure you all knew uh, what, what God was doing. Uh, you know, they're thriving. Last weekend, of course, a holiday weekend, so you don't ever look at numbers on a holiday weekend. But uh, typically, right now, they're actually running about 500. Two and a half years in, it's been an incredible thing. Uh, it's, so it's, it's been really good. But you all made it possible, so that's really good. If you got your Bibles, we are in the book of Jonah today. So this summer, well, we stepped away from the book of Revelation. We'll get back into it in September. Uh, and we've, we're doing about six, eight weeks on the book of Jonah. And I realize we've done two weeks already, and we've gotten a whole three verses in. So I promise you we are going to pick up the pace starting today, uh, talking about this, this book. If you were with us, the first, you know, we started in verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And we try to ask the question, okay, so as a believer, how many of us hear the voice of God audibly? Not many. So how do we discern the will of God? Then last weekend, Dan uh, took verse 3, 
But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Right? He walked in rebellion. He said, no, no, no. And how do, how do you deal with that? Today I want to talk about the cost of rebellion. So let's, let's start here in verse 3, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. But, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, laid down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you were sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Well, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? And what is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now stop there for a moment. <laughs> so they're in the middle of the ocean. There's a big storm that keeps getting worse. And he just told them the God I serve who I'm running away from is the God who made the sea. How do you think the other sailors responded to that? Did you notice verse 10? <laughs> then the man, men became extremely frightened. Right? You were messing with the wrong God here. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on, on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not. And the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. I want to start this morning with a quote. I've uh, done some research. I've seen it attributed to a number of different people, so I really don't know who said it first. But it's a quote that is very true and one that I think needs to be repeated. And it's this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go it will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay can I say it again 
sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sadly, as I was thinking about, okay, so how do I illustrate this? There's way too many stories that I could share with you, but I, I, I want to tell you one. I want to tell you a story about my friend Joyce, uh, because ultimately it's a redemptive story. But Joyce was a couple years older than I was. She was, uh, I was a freshman. She was a, a junior in high school, beautiful young lady. Uh, she, she knew Jesus, right? She's, she's a believer, had come to faith in Christ as a child. Um, we just had SMI, remember? And at our church there in Ohio, they had just done the SMI program for the first time her sophomore year. She didn't go. The reason she didn't go was there was a standard that they had. Um, so one of the things that we ask our SMI students is, there are certain things we're going to ask you to do that are spiritual disciplines that are maybe not necessarily sin or whatever, but we're just going to ask you to do them because we're going to give ourselves completely to following the Lord. And one of those standards was, and I believe still is, that you're not going to be in a dating relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. The reason is, is the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. Right, So if, if you're Christian in your relationship with an unchristian, you're doing all the heavy lifting spiritually, and the picture is you're going to get tired. You're going to wear out. It's not going to go well for you. And, uh, but she had a boyfriend. Not a bad dude. I knew him. But he didn't know the Lord. He didn't have any interest in the things of the Lord. And so she didn't go. Well, going into her, her junior year, God was working in her heart, and she made that decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this, right? I, I need to do this, and she broke up with him. And if Joyce were here today, I know what she would tell you. She would tell you that this actually became one of the best seasons of her whole life. She just began to grow and to blossom, and God was working her heart. She went on the SMI trip, and I can remember those evenings when we would go after the chapel, and we'd go out, and we'd just sit and talk. She'd tell me everything God was doing in her life, and, you know, her heart for ministry, her heart for people, she just... She just blossomed in the midst of all of this. It was, a, it was a really fun thing to watch and to see and actually be even a little part of as her friend. Uh, unfortunately, of course, emotional things are hard. Feelings. The guy's still around. By the time that senior year rolled around and the time for for SMI and those things, her thought is, well, you know, I, I can handle this, right? I, I, I can deal with this. I can still walk with Jesus, but I can still have this relationship. And she entered back in, and, and sadly, um, sadly, she couldn't handle it. You know, started not being around very much. In fact, ended up not going on the, on the missionary trip. Um, wasn't around the youth group much anymore. Started to get involved in things. Of course, as life happens, right, this wasn't the guy, so they broke up and on to another and sadly into 
emotional and spiritual abusive relationships after relationships, stuff just spiraling out of control. I ended up I was a couple years behind her, graduated from high school, kind of lost track of her, went to college. Remember the next time I saw her, um, I, I was a youth pastor, probably been doing that a couple years, so it was maybe six, seven years down the line, and I got the call that she was, she was in the hospital. She was in the psych unit there at the local hospital because she had tried to take her own life due to the drugs and stuff that are going on, and Got to go sit with her, and it was so good to see her again. Sadly, though, it's one of those ones you, you right, you don't like, you don't want your face to show what you're really thinking because she's just a shell of the person. But she's talking about Jesus, and I'm encouraging her, you know, along the lines, and got back out, but fell into some of the same habits, and and, and just life went from one piece of train wreck to another. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what we see here in the life of Jonah. Right? God's told him what to do. But he doesn't want to do it. So there's rebellion and just looking at this there's four things that cost him the first one may not seem all that important but I think it is it cost him resource right so number one it cost him money verse three Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord so he went down to Joppa found a ship which is going to Tarshish paid the fare now again maybe that's insignificant to most people but when you're a cheapskate like me and I see that Right? You, you go and you pay this money to go to Tarshish. He was never going to Tarshish. God said, you're going to Nineveh. You might as well have just taken the coins and thrown them in the ocean, right? What a waste. But it's that waste of resource. But it wasn't just money. It was time. We, we don't know how long he was out at sea. We know he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll talk about that next week. But we don't know how long they were at sea. We don't know how far if they were going to uh, across the Mediterranean. We don't know even where the, the, the fish spit them out, where he now had to start traveling to Nineveh. But here's the thing about time. You know, money, you could always make more money. But time is that thing which is a resource that we have that never replenishes. It's a limited resource. We all have 24 hours in every day. The problem is we just don't know how many days. Right? None of us knows when do we hit that halfway mark. We don't know. When do we hit the last furlong of the... We don't know. And I know some of you, you're young, right? Bless you. And time seems infinite. I would just encourage you, talk to the person next to you. It's got the little gray hair on your... And they're going to tell you, it's not infinite. It goes like that. And the problem is, once you spent time, you never get it back to spend again. It's gone. And one of the things in what I do is I, I've been blessed to be around some dear saints of God in the last days of their life. And as the end of this is drawing near to be able to go and to talk and to visit and read scripture and pray, and 
you know, it's funny. I, I've never heard any of them say, oh, you know, I, I, I wish I'd rebelled against God a little bit more. But I've sure heard enough of them say, you know, the one little regret that I have was there's this period of my life where I chose to do my own thing. And oh, to have had that time back, what more could we have done? It costs you resource. Resource that you're never going to get back. Resource that Jonah's never going to get back. The second thing that it costs is it costs relationship. See, here's the thing about sin. Sin always, always causes us to hide from God. You see it, you see it right back in Genesis uh, you know, chapter 3. So here's Adam and Eve who walk with God, the cool of the day, right? This is, can you imagine the high point of the day of, of getting to walk and talk with God and, and share your day with him? And this was it. And so, but they rebel, they disobey. And so now they're covering themselves with fig leaves. And now they hear the voice of God coming to walk with them in the cool of the night. And what do they do? They hide. And that's exactly what sin does to us. It makes us hide from God. As Dan mentioned last week, he's going to Tarshish. That's the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. He's running from God. And what he actually does here is he loses the voice of God in his life. You know, how cool to be a prophet. How cool to have God audibly speak to you. How cool to be able to, to know that, that God tells you exactly what he wants you to do. But did you notice God doesn't audibly speak to him here? You know why? In his rebellion, he stuck his fingers in his ears. He said, ah, I don't want to hear. I'm going to go do my own thing. And so God now, as he speaks, isn't speaking through an audible voice. How is he speaking? He's speaking through the storm. He's speaking through the tempest. He's speaking through these pagan sailors. Right? He's speaking to him in grace. He's going to speak to him through a fish. But he loses the voice of God in his life. And what I find fascinating is how you see this played out is that he loses his desire to pray. Did you pick up on that in verse 5? Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship, laid down, and fallen asleep. So think about this. The pagan sailors are the ones who are praying. The prophet of God is asleep. The captain even wakes him up. And says, pray to your God. There is nothing in the text that suggests that Jonah decides to pray. You know why? Because Jonah knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. Why pray? Why pray? And I want to be careful because prayer is not a box that we tick. It's not a measure thing that we measure our spirituality about how many times a day we pray or how much time we pray and I don't, I don't want to put that on anybody but I want to tell you that I found in my own life 
that in those moments where prayer is hard and prayer is distant and prayer is something that I struggle to do, that often is a really, really good signal to look inward and say, okay, what's going on in my life that I don't want God to deal with? Where's that point of rebellion? Right, because the greatest thing that we have in our relationship with God is our relationship with God. It is that we get to walk with him. I mean, you think of some of the old hymns, uh, and he walks with me and he talks with me, he tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share as we gather there, none other can know. We, we sing the, the old hymn, Near to the Heart of God, there's a place of blessed rest. There's a place of blessed peace. It's, it's found near to the heart of God. It's all about relationship. Of walking with the Lord, of knowing Him, of knowing that He is with us. And that's the very thing the sin steals. It takes away. We're hiding. We're running. The very thing that is the most precious thing that we have in our life as the children of God is to know that our Father loves us and that He's always there waiting for us. But here's the thing you've got to remember. Who moved? Who moved? It wasn't God. In fact, God's pursuing Him. Who moved? It was Jonah. You're in your life, hey, God feels distant. Who moved? The reality is it's, it's us. We, we let those points of sin, we let those points of rebellion, we think it's all good because it's just over to here a little bit, but over here, everything's all good. No, 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 no. It affects everything. That's what sin does. And the really cool thing is that when, when we come in that spirit of repentance, we can regain that intimacy, right? So it's, it's not the final straw. It's not, it's not the, the last piece and there's no hope. I, I told you about Joyce. Joyce, later in life, I, I was able to reconnect with her through a, through a friend Last couple years before she passed, she ended up getting cancer. But God had just continued through the years, through all the ups and downs, through the failed relationships and the drugs and everything. God had just continued as his child to, to pursue her. And she had come to that point. And I can remember the last couple conversations I had with her and just how God had been so rich and so how good. And that's the beautiful thing. In fact, we're going to next week, <coughs> excuse me, look at chapter two. And this is when Jonah now gets that spirit of repentance. And, and you get to chapter three. And what's the first thing it says? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, right? It's not over. What he calls us to is a spirit of repentance, not rebellion, a spirit of humility. And God's always there. It's like the story of the prodigal son who goes and wastes everything. But when he turns around to come home, who does he see out there looking for him? His dad with open arms running towards him. Folks, your rebellion will never take you so far that his grace is not there to embrace if you'll turn. If you'll turn. The third thing that it cost him is it cost him security. 
Someone once said that the two biggest needs that we have in our life as people is significance and security. And as a believer, where do we find that security? Well, it's in our relationship with the Lord, but it's also found in the fact that as we live with him, that we, we do things his way, that we, we find that, that place in life, a, a sweet protection from the outside, right? We often call it the hollow of his hand. Have you ever heard that expression? You know, I want to live in the hollow of his hand, right? That means that we, we're living in the wisdom, we're living in the truth that we find in the word of God. Uh, the psalmist puts it like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we're living in wisdom that brings protection to our life. Doesn't mean everything's going to go great, doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. It just means that, that we know God's protection that through it all he's going to bring us out the other end more like Jesus right that's the ultimate purpose but here's the problem you can't live in the fear of the Lord and live in rebellion they're they're opposites if you're living in rebellion you are not living in the fear of the Lord you're saying hey I got this I know better it's it's impossible and that leads us to the dangerous place in our life. You know, Jonah is in this incredibly dangerous place, and he's oblivious to it. He, he just, he does not understand. The ship's about ready to go down. It's about ready to break out. He's asleep. Oh, by the way, where is he asleep? He's asleep in the hold. Where's all this stuff that they're getting to throw overboard? In the hold. It's all going on around him. And he's oblivious. My dad used to call it the intoxication of sin. It makes us numb. Let me maybe put it a different way that might make sense. Sin breaks your risk meter. So, I know most of you that are here today, you, you've put your faith in Jesus. You, you've walked with him. Haven't you experienced those moments? I don't know, maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a circumstance. But as you're walking into it, all of a sudden, it's like little yellow and red lights start flashing in your spirit. Right? God is throwing up these cautions. Be careful. Be careful. Something isn't right. You all experience that or is that just me? All right. Well, the problem is when we walk in rebellion, what happened is we've walked right past the stop sign, not a flashing yellow light, but right past the stop sign. And that begins to build a hardness, right? We got this. We, 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 we can kind of control this. And so we become tone deaf to the warnings of God. And it breaks your, your wrist meter. You know, just like Joyce. Joyce, hey, I got this. It's just a relationship. I can do that and I can do this. But a broker wrist meter. Sadly, in the last, what, 20, 25 years, we've seen a number of quote-unquote men of God who have fallen badly, haven't we? Soul-crushing. And some of them, as you read their story, I mean, some of them, probably just charlatans from the beginning, but some of them, I would even say most, man, there was a time they were just, they were passionate about Jesus. 
And God blessed, but all of a sudden, there's this, you know, their family's blown up. They're, they've committed adultery. They've done, they've done this. They're into drugs. There's something has happened. And can I just tell you that none of them, if you read their story, was walking with Jesus, walking in obedience, walking in wisdom, and one day got up and says, I'm going to blow this all by going and having an immoral affair. It doesn't happen that way. What happens is you start walking in rebellion in little pieces of your life, and it breaks your wrist meter to sin. And you think you can manage it, and you will for a while. And you think you'll get away with it, and you will for a while. But sin always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. Lastly, I need to be done. So here's the fourth one. The cost was his testimony. Here he is as a prophet of God. So we're talking about he pursues us, right? So he's pursuing the Ninevites. He's trying to send a warning to them. He's pursuing Jonah. Do you ever think about how he pursued these sailors? So God's at work. He's got their attention, right? They're actually, <laughs> verse 16, then the men feared the Lord greatly, right? So God's at work in their heart, and yet here's a prophet of God, and he cannot say one thing to them about their spiritual need. Why? Because they all know he's walking in rebellion. You and I have been called to live on mission. This is where we find our purpose, our meaning in life, and in that meaning and purpose, it is both to show Jesus with our light let our light shine. It's to share Jesus with our lips. It's to teach others, right? It's to tell people about Jesus. You go to any sales class 101, the best thing you have is the testimony of this is how it's been a benefit for me. How is it a, Jesus a benefit for me when I'm walking in rebellion? The best tool we have is, man, I've given my heart to follow Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. This is the chain. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard, to, but this is how God is blessed. And look at my life. That's the testimony. And sadly, in our world today, so many Christians have given up their testimony because the community knows they're walking in rebellion. And we have a world around us that's looking for truth. And yet we can't say anything because we're not living in truth. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. It will always, always cost you more than you want to pay. It's nature of sin. Now, obviously, I've been speaking today, preaching to the children of God, right? If you're here today and you've not come to put your faith in Jesus, when I talk about an intimate relationship with him, that's just all kind of foreign. Can I tell you, that's all where it begins. He died on the cross for you to pay for your sins, to welcome you in the family of God. If you'll put your faith and trust in him, that's where it begins. But I realize, middle of July... Most everybody in here has come to that point. We're Christians. We know Jesus. So the hard question that I'm going to ask all of us today, myself included, 
is this. Is there a place of rebellion in our life? Is there a place we think may be small, we think may be manageable, we think nobody will know, it doesn't affect anything? Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always, always cost you more than you want to pay. And the antidote is repentance.